0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Tales from the Heart, a podcast from the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association. I'm Lisa Salberg, founder and CEO of the HCMA, and I am joined today by Dr. Harry Lever of the Cleveland Clinic. Good morning, Harry. Morning. Last time we tried to do this, I started crying during the podcast because my great-nephew was born born during our podcast. He's wonderful. He's almost a month old now, and uh, he's Perfect. So I won't cry on this podcast, I promise. Today, we are going to jump into a topic that I know we're probably a little overloaded hearing about, but we need to stay here and talk about this a little bit longer. And it is of specific concern for the HCM community that we have to talk about COVID-19 and the Delta variant. I'm going to do a little bit of recap from the news today, and these are critically important things for you to know. We're going to talk to Dr. Lever during this podcast about what we think are best steps for the HCM community and how to prepare yourselves and how to protect yourselves and your families and those with other chronic illnesses um, from the devastating, devastating effects of not only COVID-19, but the Delta variant. So let's do a quick recap, shall we? Um, We've been talking about COVID. We've been talking about COVID here at the HCMA since early March, 2020. And we have run through a lot, but as of today, July 23rd, 2021, Missouri, Florida, and Texas represent 40% of all new cases and that majority of them are the Delta variant. Right now, the vaccination rates for those three states, Florida's 48.1, Missouri's 40.5, Texas is 43.1. I wanna go over some global numbers with you. According to the World Health Organization, over 33 million cases of COVID have occurred in the United States with 600 4,546 deaths. That is in a population of 328.2 million of which 60 million are under the age of 12. Worldwide cases of COVID are 191.7 million cases with 4 million One hundred twenty seven thousand nine hundred and sixty three deaths. Australia, total cases thirty two thousand two hundred sixty nine. Total deaths nine hundred and fifteen. Total population twenty five point seven million. Canada, one million four hundred forty. I'm sorry, 1,424,200 confirmed cases, 26,508 deaths, population 37.9 million. The Delta variant is recording spread rates that are 50% faster than the other variants that were out there. According to a high ranking official, they are referring to the Delta variant as the as 2020 version on steroids. Having been a person on steroids, this is not a good thing. The reason these things are of concern is this virus replicates much faster and spreads much easier through the air than the previous variants. Five to seven minute contact with a six foot barrier is still considered an infection risk. Dr. Lever. Is are the current COVID vaccines available in the United States and in Europe, Canada, Australia, these are where we have most of our listeners are these vaccines safe, and
1: effective? The the vaccines are highly safe. They are effective, but we've been seeing some breakthroughs. Not a huge number, but there are some breakthroughs. There was a number that came back uh, from Los Angeles today, I believe. I hope I'm not quoting it wrong. But 20% of the new cases just in Los Angeles uh, may be breakthroughs. That's a, that's a little unusually high, but the fact is we don't know all the data we need to know because it takes time to get it, and that doesn't mean that we, we don't know anything. It just means that we have to take the time to get the data. It just, yeah, that's what science is all about, and when we hear changes in things, it's not because people made a mistake. It's because things do change and we do to have to take time to learn the new stuff as it comes. That's like with any disease that we deal with. Uh, and so, um, but we are really in a problem now. We have got to get everybody vaccinated. There is no excuse for not getting a vaccination that will prevent you from getting seriously ill. There are plenty of diseases out there which we don't have the capability of doing that. And it seems a shame to let people become very sick or die because they didn't want to take a vaccination. And it turns out that again, about 99% of these new cases of people that get COVID have not had a vaccination. And there's The
0: no- hospital of the hospitalized.
1: Yeah, but there's no excuse for that. Yeah. And we have got to, the thing to think about is not only are you hurting yourself if you don't get the vaccination, you're hurting people around you who could get the breakthrough or, uh, you know, could, uh, you know, and, and, and become sick. Uh, there was a situation that was reported on the news two days ago where a 10 year old girl who was not of age to get the vaccine yet. Um, got sick both of her parents had had the vaccine unfortunately they had some breakthrough but they didn't become seriously ill but sick enough to know they had a problem like they lost their sense of smell they developed a cough they uh, you know had some fever and didn't feel terribly well
0: and then so, they just themselves huh? and then huh? were contagious themselves yes
1: right and they were contagious themselves and the thing we have to understand about this One person gets it, they give it to more, and it just rapidly, you know. And I had a feeling about a month to five weeks ago, I started watching um, the British newspapers when they first had 500 cases in Britain. And within a week, it went to about 2,000 cases. And I said to myself, this is going to go, and we're going to get it. And sure enough, it's exactly what happened. So um, when that thing is out there, we've got to be careful. And I think that certainly, if you're in closed areas with people, you got to mask up. Contrary to what politicians are saying and all this kind of stuff, we they, we got to do everything we can to protect ourselves and our families. And so, what if we wear a mask? What's the big deal? It's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. And it just shows you that this particular variant is very contagious. And what we don't want is to get something that's even worse than this. And the more people that have have the virus, the more chance that we will have more variants that could even become worse. And maybe at some point, the vaccine won't work very well at all. So we don't want that. We have got to vaccinate everybody. This is This is mandatory. And I think that the FDA has got to get moving here and certify this vaccine, so that businesses and uh, hospitals can insist that their employees take the vaccine. Right now, uh, if you work in our hospital, you and you get the uh, you have to take the flu vaccine every year. And right now, they haven't done that because the FDA hasn't officially passed on it but the FDA must pass on it. Enough people have gotten this vaccine over enough time that we know that the stuff works and nobody's getting into serious trouble. So even even we've heard a little bit about myocarditis, that's an inflammation of a heart muscle. It's not a serious problem. It can be treated within a few days with what we call non-steroidals like ibuprofen, and that will take care of the inflammation associated with with this bit of inflammation in the heart muscle. It's certainly much better to get that than to get a severe case of COVID. And um,
0: So let's talk a little bit about the other problem associated with um, COVID. Obviously there's the acute problem, the onset, the respiratory distress, the, the respiratory symptoms, the general fatigue, fog, whatever, so that's COVID. So let's say you're unlucky enough to get COVID but lucky enough to survive COVID and then what? So there's long COVID or COVID-19 syndrome. There's a whole bunch of new names for it. But here's where things get complicated for the HCM community, in my opinion. What are the the symptoms long-term of long COVID? Fatigue, shortness of breath, brain fog and depression. Sounds quite similar to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy symptoms. So if you already have HCM and are experiencing some mild symptoms, a good case of COVID could make those symptoms a lot worse. And for those who don't have HCM and wondered what it felt like, it's kind of probably a bit like long COVID. But what do we know about long COVID? There are some risk factors that will determine if you're at a higher risk of getting long COVID. And this community is at high risk for getting long COVID because you have a comorbidity. Gender, age, and whether or not you're hospitalized for your original COVID are other risk factors, as well as, um, what was the other one they had? Oh, the symptoms that you have uh, when you get COVID. If you have a loss of smell, there's a much higher likelihood that you will get long COVID as well. So this isn't, a couple of days of being sick. This isn't a little virus. This is sticking with you for a long time. Six to nine months, we've got data for long COVID. There's not a lot of chance to collect data beyond that. And I want Dr. Lever to talk a little bit about how are we gonna collect data to see what the real effect long-term on the body is? from Well,
1: first of of all, we've gotta talk about something else. Uh, the acute effects on the heart and the lungs. Um, It's known that the coronary arteries can be severely affected with this disease such that they become inflamed, they become uh, narrowed, and the blood supply to the heart can be damaged. When that happens, if you've got hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, you're already starting out with thick heart muscle so that those coronary arteries cannot supply those thick muscle cells as well uh, when they're inflamed and the blood isn't getting through. So you can become severely symptomatic quite quickly, more so than somebody who did not start out with uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or other heart disease. Those people, even with normal hearts, can get get, obviously get into serious trouble. But if you're starting with heart disease, start with, you, you can get into very serious trouble very quickly. And that's why people with particularly this disease and any other kind of heart disease need to get the vaccine. The other thing is it has a very severe effect on the lungs. And I'm going to show you just a few pictures of that here that I took off the internet.
0: And Dr. Lever, when you bring those pictures up to screen, for those who are listening to the podcast after the broadcast on Facebook, could you just walk us through what these images are and right. what these blotches are?
1: This, 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 this is the heart here in the center. And, and you can see the, the lungs are a, a sort of a darkish color with little little white spaces. Some of those are blood vessels. But over here, if you see where the arrows are, that's inflamed lungs here and here and here. But the one next to it is much worse. Here, the lungs are very white and very inflamed, and this patient will have a terrible time breathing and could easily go on to be put on a ventilator. And it's been, it also been shown that sometimes the, the ventilators don't work as well as we think they would in this condition, and very strangely, they have found that when they, contrary to the way we used to treat people with bad lungs, we used to have them on their back, elevate their head, they'd be on a breathing tube, now, for some reason, we put them on their belly and they found that the lungs work a little bit better when you're breathing on your belly with this disease. But this case here is very severe. And if you couple that with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, you're in very serious trouble. Probably was little chance of surviving. So that that this is a big deal. When it affects the lungs, we're in and you have heart disease, you're in very serious trouble. So you don't ever want to get this. That's why you need a vaccination. And you can tell all your politicians, they don't know what they're talking about. And these pictures, these pictures are very frightening. This is a very, you know, for years, we'd see people who would develop what we call pulmonary fibrosis. And it would come from a virus. Sometimes we didn't know what it would come from, but we knew if somebody got something like that, they were in serious trouble. But the incidence of it was never very high. And there was no COVID at that time or whatever. A lot of times we didn't know what, it, you know, how it happened or whatever. But fortunately, there was not a lot of it around. Now, unfortunately, we got a lot of it. And it can be very severe. So I just wanted to show you those pictures. You can unshare that screen if you want.
0: I appreciate that. So I want to talk a little bit more about lung damage and get a little bit personal here. So there have been cases reported in in the media that people with COVID have deteriorated their lungs to such a degree that transplant is their only option. So I know our community knows a fair bit about heart transplants. Heart transplants have um, done quite well over the past 25 years. In fact, the very first patient ever diagnosed with HCM, Mr. Claude Brady, had his heart transplant in 1988 and is still alive today. So you can live a long, 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 long time with a a heart transplant. You can, 30 years, it's happening. Lungs don't last that long in a transplant. Much shorter life expectancy post lung transplant and these young people who are getting COVID, who do have an, a massive effect on their lungs for reasons that we don't fully understand why some get sicker than others. But in this case, if you need a transplant, this isn't another potential 30 years of life on immunosuppressants and, you know, the, the issues that go along with transplant, the higher cancer risks, etc. This is a short window of time, 10 years, maybe. So, we hope the transplant technology for lung transplants advances, but it's a much harder transplant. The lung tissue is very soft. It's, it, it, it's more fragile to transplant. Um, and, the, and the long-term outcome data is not what it is for a heart. So your lungs are really, really important. And if they're not functioning well and you have HCM, you're, not, you're gonna be very, very symptomatic. So we really want everybody to understand the risks here. I've been a patient advocate for over 25 years. I've always told people do what is best for you, yourself, your family, your loved ones, do what's right for you. Make decisions, look at the research, look at the data and make the best decision for you. I have not found a valid argument against the vaccine with the exception of an allergy to one of the ingredients or we in the transplant community, when you're on multi-level immunotherapy, it's not showing that it's very effective. So I know people are trying to get it done and it's better to take the shot and get it and not have an immune response. Thankfully, I'm on only one immunosuppressant and I did have an immune response and I keep monitoring my, my COVID levels. So I know if I need to get a booster, but other than the transplant community and and life-threatening allergies, I've not seen any data that says it's safer not to get it. Every bit of data I have seen says it's safer to get it. Dr. Lever, what do you see in the data?
1: I think I feel the same way. I mean, you, you uh, um, I think that, uh, yeah try to find a reason not to take it are very very few and i would i think there's you've gotta we've gotta get the vaccine out there and uh that's 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 the way that's the way it is and we may need we may need a booster all of us may need a booster or some of us may need a booster we still don't know yet about that they're looking at that data and again, they're looking at it. So if they come out and they say, "Well, so many people, certain people need a booster," that means they've changed their feeling about it. That doesn't mean they didn't know what they were talking about at the beginning. It means that they didn't have the data. You know, this we're fortunate on the one hand that we got a vaccine at all. It could have been that we we would be in the midst of a horrible mess if there was no. Can you imagine no vaccine at all?
0: So let's, let's pause there for a second. So some people who are concerned about the the method in which the, vi- the, the vaccine is delivered, MRNA technology, the framework that the, the virus is placed into, this isn't new. I, I've been following data on these delivery systems for over a decade. They've been being developed and It's to somebody who doesn't know the field or just never paid attention because it wasn't something that they were concerned about. No fault of their own for not knowing it. This technology has been gone through an amazing amount of scientific vigor and evaluation and safety studies. So it's real. So I I need you to answer a question because somebody recently said it to me and I'm like, honey, that's not how it works. Does an mRNA-delivered vaccination alter an individual's DNA?
1: No, absolutely not, and that's all false. It's, and as a matter of fact, from the technology that we've learned with this vaccine, we may be, be making even better influenza vaccines than we've had, and there's a whole science to influenza vaccine. As a matter of fact, there's some facts that they've made a certain vaccine for influenza that's given to older people because it's stronger. And it, we may have even more improvement in the influenza vaccine. The results of, of the results of giving people flu vaccine is not as good as given this vaccine for this bad disease. So I would, again, we were so lucky that we got any vaccine at all. And... Had we not gotten that, there would have been a lot more people having died because there was no vaccine. So here we have a treatment for a disease that we can save most of the people. All they have to do is take the treatment. That's all.
0: So So. let's say you did.
1: And it's given with a very small needle and a small amount of fluid. And yeah, your arm can hurt. And you can even get a fever if we 24 hours or whatever, but so what? It'll be gone and you'll be in good shape.
0: I will say I had a tetanus shot that really, 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 really hurt right. Prior to my, my transplant. I had to re-up all of my vaccines just to make sure that I could be vaccinated from so many other things in the world um, because I won't have an immune system after transplant. So I upped all my vaccines. In comparison to all the other vaccines I had, my arm hurt for like 12 hours, maybe, like a bruise. And I got a little tired for a day or two. The end, the end. And I feel confident in knowing that even if I do everything I can do to protect myself and my family from getting COVID, if I get it, my chances of survival are better because I had the vaccine. And that's proven out over and over and over and over and over again. Again, I'll repeat 99% of the hospitalizations related to current COVID outbreak with the Delta variant specifically are in unvaccinated individuals. If you were on the fence, if you thought it's not important for me, I'll let somebody else do it. We're just here to tell you today that it's really important. This is not over, not by a long shot. We're trying to all get back to normal. Nobody likes any of this. We don't want to be talking about this. We don't want to have to go back and re-educate and help inform and answer questions about vaccination and how to deal with it. But we also don't want to have you get COVID and deal with the short-term and long-term consequences thereof. I Do want to take another minute to talk about long COVID? I did some research this morning as to, okay, what do you do about long COVID? So the care plan right now for long COVID includes physical therapy, an enormous amount of social support, mental health services because of the depression and anxiety that can come afterwards. And then the specific treatment to which organ took your biggest hit. So was it your cardiovascular system? Was it your respiratory system that took the hit? So whatever that care is going to be. Number one, that's exhausting to do that much therapy. And number two, it's expensive to pay for all of that health care. Please think about the long-term consequences as well. So looking at some more data from the World Health Organization, MedPage, Mayo Clinic, one third of people have symptoms that can go out to six to nine months. And the average age is 48. These are not elderly that are having these long term issues. It's young people trying to work, middle aged people. And we don't want you to be ill. We don't want you to be sick. Number one, uh, risk factors or number, the number three and four risk factors gender, age, and comorbidities at the top. And you if you're listening to an HCMA podcast, you're probably in that demographic of having a high comorbidity. So um, Cynthia is asking a question. Thank you for the important message. Vaccination is critical. Not getting vaccine is hurting yourself with your family and your community. Cynthia, we completely agree with that statement. Thank you for sharing it with us. Um, we're very concerned about this. And Dr. Lever and I spent a lot of time not on a podcast talking about this. And we, we really need the community to understand. We're gonna open up to general questions now. If you have uh, COVID related questions or other questions you'd like to, to talk about today, we're more than happy to do that. Uh, I do wanna talk about like a hot topic item on the HCMA page last couple of weeks. Um, and that is the growing anticipation of Mavic Hampton. I am here with a smile on my face and hope in my heart and some enthusiasm and a caution tale. We know that it's exciting to finally have a named drug for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy on the horizon. We also know that we don't know a lot about it yet, but what we know seems to be promising. There's only data available on people who were on it for 30-ish weeks, okay? So a little bit more than half a year, right? So we have to be cautious about indication here. People are asking, when can I get it? The answer is nobody really knows yet. (laughs) The FDA is evaluating the drug right now They are due with what's called a PADUFA date. You learn all these acronyms when you start working in regulatory stuff. But basically that's the date that the FDA has to return a decision on whether or not it will approve this drug for sale in the United States. Every indication is that will happen, but that's not access, that's approval. Access comes through another process. The HCMA is actively engaged in this right now. And this is pricing and availability and payer education. So they can have a drug that's made available to you tomorrow through the FDA. But if it's priced at a point where it can't be afforded, if it is priced in a way that the insurance companies don't value it, it becomes unaffordable and unobtainable. So right now we are advocating on your behalf, the HCM community and healthcare providers to make sure that the pricing is fair and that payers understand the role of this agent. Mavicampton is not going to be the answer for everybody. It will likely be the answer to reduce your symptoms for some of the community. What that sum is, 20%. 30%, 50% remains to be seen, but it will certainly be a therapeutic option, hopefully within the next year available to most of you. There are major hurdles to get over here in terms of labeled indication and follow-up and who can prescribe it and who should prescribe it. There's a lot of questions. I am very happy to tell you in a quite transparent manner, that we have been working very closely with then myocardia and now Bristol-Myers Squibb to ensure that education is provided to patients, to providers, to physicians who don't really know HCM. And we are right there side by side with them, making sure that the materials are clear, concise, and speak to the entire disease, not how to prescribe a drug, okay? so. I share your unbridled enthusiasm to a certain degree and it's my job to put the bridles on and keep it in focus, okay? Um, It's exciting. I admit that completely without shame. It's exciting to have something else in the toolbox and I think it will make some people feel a lot better. It's not gonna be for everybody. There are other trials coming up. You're gonna hear from a company called Imbria We're going to announce a webinar at the beginning of September with Dr. Martin Marin, and we're going to discuss this new clinical trial for the non-obstructed population. And there's another company that we're going to be working with that I will mention in the next podcast um, for maybe genetic therapy. So a lot is coming. Yes, we're enthusiastic. Yes, I'm busier than I've ever been in my entire life. There's a lot going on medical education. Dr. Lever is joining our HCM Academy. Ooh, you haven't heard about that one yet. So stay tuned. That's for professional education. Um, that'll be launching in the fall. So there's a lot going on. Dr. Lever, are you enthusiastic about new th- treatments for HCM or are you cautious? Or are oh, you- I'm,
1: al- I'm, I'm always cautious. And I, that's that's been the way I've practiced medicine over the years. I've always been cautious and wait a little bit to make sure that we're not in any serious trouble. Uh, You know, over the years, there have been a few drugs that have been removed because something happened. So we, I'm, but, you know, I think this new drug Mebacampton is probably going to have a place and will help a lot of people. And, but again, it takes time and we have to understand that. And it's just like, it doesn't mean we don't know what we're doing. It means we learn as we go. That's an important thing to learn about medicine: you learn as you go. It doesn't just happen.
0: If anybody has any questions, I'm getting a lot of feedback today. If anybody has any questions about Mavicampton, about the Embryo study, we're happy to take them now. Um, I will say that. Um, probably one of the tough questions that I see now is when can I get it? And I think everybody's gonna have to be very, very realistic here in timelines, okay? Uh, if it's approved in January, payers are gonna start making policy now when they look at some pricing information, which we're still trying to develop. Um, it, it's, it's gonna be a, a complicated math equation and it's got an element of shared decision-making and it's, uh, I just lost my question. So if anybody's typing a question, I can't see it right now. I'm getting it up in a second. Um, but we need to make sure that people know that it's, it's not like you can just go to the pharmacy uh, the day after approval and pick up a bottle. It's not gonna be like that. The dosing is gonna be done cautiously. There's gonna be a lot of follow-up, a lot of echoes done in the first couple of weeks. Um, so when you start it, it's kind of gonna, in my Yes, right now it's gonna be a little bit of a process to get the dosing to where it needs to be safely and doing all the imaging. Um, And we all know that echoes are variable in quality and variable in, um, in whether or not you can trust them or not. So you really need to go to a high volume program to get those echoes done. I know some people hate when I just point constantly to center, center, centers. Um, COEs matter for this. Dr. Lever, how many bad echoes did you see over the years coming to you from the community?
1: A lot. I can't give an exact number, but you know, it's a matter of knowing how, first of all, you have to have a patient who their anatomy allows you to get pretty good pictures. You know, If you're massively obese or something of that sort that can be a problem but yeah you know you got to know how have seen enough and you have to have done enough to know how to do them and not everybody has that experience and that's and you know we need to know all the details so we know best how to treat somebody
0: so funny story um This one hit hit a little close to home. I once sent somebody I know quite well, because I haven't asked her about this yet, so I'm not gonna say the name, to see you with her echo in hand. And it was back in the days of videotape, so that dates us a little bit. And she showed you a paper report and she showed you the video, you went back, you looked at the video and you asked her, which one are you, the one on the paper, the one on the tape? Um, Because the report said everything was fine and the tape showed obvious HCM. So value of quality echo is critically important. So somebody else brought up another point here about cytokinetics, exciting information this week on Redwood, uh, which is a study that they're doing in a class of drug that is very, very, very similar to Mavicampton, same concept of a myosin uh, inhibitor or modulator. Um, So there's not only is Mavicampton coming, but there's, kind of a drug that's really similar, but has some different properties to it that might be better for others than maybe the Mavic compound will be. So there's not only other areas that are being investigated, but this whole concept of myosin modulators is critically important. And for those of you who are not data geeks, you know, you might wonder why there's so much interest in creating a drug for a disease that only has currently 140,000 people in the United States diagnosed and a potential of maybe, maybe a million of us. That's our potential, rough numbers. Because we are the genetic presentation of something called heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. And if they can find mechanisms to treat us and have the heart respond appropriately, These drugs might be repurposed for people outside the HCM community, which are in much greater numbers than us. So there's a lot of enthusiasm around this class of drug. Are we finally getting to treat diastolic dysfunction with something that actually works? That's kind of a big deal, isn't it, Harry?
1: Yep, no question about
0: it. Are there, what are the other good treatments for diastolic dysfunction?
1: Well, we use, uh, we use uh, beta blockers, we use ACE inhibitors, uh, which are vasodilators, we use uh, angiotensin receptor blockers, which are also uh, vasodilators. Sometimes we need diuretics, but the non-obstructive type in certain people can be difficult to treat, and that's why people are looking for something to try to do better than we're doing.
0: I remember one speaking to Grant Parr. I I don't know that you know Grant, he was a cardiac surgeon here in Morristown. And he squiggled on a piece of paper and he said, when I was a young student, and he's now retired, "Um, somebody asked me to explain diastolic dysfunction and he drew some squiggles on a piece of paper. He goes, I drew this. I have no idea what it meant, but they thought I knew what I was talking about. I thought that was hysterical because nobody knows. Nobody knew at that time where diastolic dysfunction came from. So um, he said, now we understand it better, and I still don't understand it. So why does the heart not relax? So you want to explain diastolic dysfunction?
1: Well, it's it's where the heart, as you say, doesn't relax. It doesn't it doesn't, it, it's stiff. And when in the resting phase, it doesn't, it doesn't ease up and relax. And so that's, and that pressure that when that happens, the pressure in the heart can go up, which then transmits to the lungs and makes you shorter breath. And, you know, we just, it's one of those more difficult things to, to deal with. And uh, 30% of people have non-obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And that's why we need better treatments than what we have right now.
0: Could not agree. And we have things coming down the pipeline. So as we venture into this uncharted territory of labeled indication drugs and HCM, it, it comes with good news and bad news. And the good news is we have more partners who are becoming educated and more opportunity to get in front of more people to share the story and to raise awareness. And there's going to be a great many efforts underway in the next couple of months. Some of them are fun um, and some of them are gonna take a lot of work. Um, And I'm gonna encourage you all if you are in the Denville, New Jersey area to join us on July 30th, right here on Broadway in Denville where the HCMA will have its tent out. I'll be the one in the mask Um, for a street festival where we are going to kick off our TikTok challenge. To the community, this is going to sound a little silly, but interns and their young minds come up with brilliant ideas. So kudos to Christian and Nikki for saying we got to get on TikTok to get that younger group. But we are going to challenge people and teach people. Simple thing how to pronounce hypertrophic cardiomyopathy because most people can't say it. And we're going to give them an opportunity to say it on film. We're gonna give them a little education and then we're gonna give them a second shot and see if they can get it better the second time. And if we can teach them a little bit about HCM. When we kick off this challenge, we'll do a live video to kick it off here on Facebook. And we will also be setting that out to TikTok. And we'll be giving you all the information so that you can share your own personal TikTok challenges with hopefully your friends and family. So if you can get your friends to pronounce it and you can teach them a couple lines on what HCM is, we'll give you all the talking points and you put it up on TikTok and you put the proper hashtags on it. Maybe we can spark a little excitement and challenge people who never thought that they'd stop for a moment in their life and try to pronounce hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So, some of this is going to be fun. Some of it's going to be a lot of work. Most of it's work to me right now. Um, but on the 30th, if you happen to be in the Denville area, I want to come down for the night. There's some great restaurants and bands, and we are looking forward to seeing you there. We got giveaways. Look, I got like gift certificates from everybody in town. They're going to, if you come do the challenge, you get in a drawing. So come on down. Come on down. And have fun. Yes, Harry, I'm having fun on TikTok. I know. Not your jam, right? <laughs> That works. Dr. Lever, what else do you want to tell our listeners today about COVID, MAVA, discovery?
1: Just get your vaccine if you haven't gotten it. That's the most important thing to do.
0: I could not agree more. So our questions are light today. It's a a Friday in the summer. So I think a lot of our typical uh, questioners are off on vacation today. So uh, we will miss them this time. We hope the rest of you have enjoyed. Oh, wait, we got a couple of other questions here. I'm so sorry, I don't know why I wasn't seeing these. Uh, Mary Sharp, I was teaching my best friend in the ER how to say it, that's great. Weiland was told his pressures and his heart went up and was taken off the transplant list. Okay, so um, let's talk about that for a moment. Um, If somebody is in burnt out, end stage, advanced heart failure, HCM, whatever we're calling it these days. Um, and they're listed and they're pulled off of a list for I'm guessing what you're referring to is pulmonary hypertension in HCM. Harry, can you talk a little bit about what pulmonary hypertension is?
1: Well, pulmonary hypertension is just, it, it's increased pressure in the lungs. And if it's too severe, uh, the, 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 the pressure can be fixed in the lungs, with even with treatment, it might not get better. And sometimes in rare cases, even with a transplant, if the lungs are damaged enough and there's enough scarring in there, it may not, the pressure may not go down even with a transplant. So that's a difficult diagnosis to make at times but, and it doesn't happen that often, but you know they, there are ways you can tell by measuring the pressures if it's truly fixed pulmonary hypertension. And if it is, that's a problem.
0: In some cases, that can result in a heart-lung transplant combination, correct? Right. Yeah.
1: right. Um,
0: I do know a number of people who were on the transplant list or successfully were transplanted with pulmonary hypertension. Um, they actually use, uh, what is this, um Cialis um, for its original intended purpose. Um, so Viagra and Cialis were created to address problems like this. They just had a side effect that was more profitable. Um, we'll just leave it at that. So maybe um, they would try somebody on a drug like that to try to bring down the pressures in the lung and then hopefully relist. I have seen that happen before, once the pressure's right. under control. Right. Um, diet management, sodium management, like you you gotta, you gotta go on that perfect balancing beam and just try to get everything in line and get the pulmonary hypertension down. And sometimes it can be, um, it can, uh, it, it can be relisted. Okay. Double checking the list here. Someday, Zoom and Facebook are going to come together and give me a transcript that comes through Zoom on what actually is being said in the feed so I don't have to go back and forth to my phone all the time. But technology hasn't caught up with us. So a very different conversation today on Tales from the Heart. We covered details on COVID. We looked at the numbers. I don't mean to bum everybody out with all this, but we have to be vigilant. We've come so far. We want to come back the rest of the way. We need everybody to participate. I know somehow in all of this, it became a polarizing topic. I urge you to think of polio, smallpox, things we've eradicated when we work together. It's not political. It's not a conspiracy. It's a virus and we have the tools to stop it. Please do your part. Um, advances in HCM, NAVA, Bristol Myers Squibb, cytokinetics, Redwood study, exciting data, Embryo study coming up soon. You'll have a whole webinar and an opportunity to participate in a survey there, uh, to participate in a clinical trial. There'll be eight sites in the world, seven in the United States. Lots of good stuff going on. Talked a little bit about pulmonary hypertension. Um, We always throw something in here a little different. Um, That's pretty much all I have for a Friday afternoon in the summer. I gotta go write some reports and send some letters and get back to the grind. And Harry, we're gonna talk in another couple of weeks and I have good news for everybody. Uh, The first week of the month, we're going to start um, publishing the, the topics that we're going to cover in the podcast for the month. I also have a new podcast partner I'm going to bring in, Quarterly, um, who is a really interesting person. I'm not going to use names yet, but I will tell you he is a big-hearted warrior who took his personal experience and brought it to his profession. And he is now a cardiologist working in an inherited cardiovascular disease program that happens to be an hcma recognized center of excellence and i think if we talk to him once a quarter or so to get insights from both of his perspectives i think it's going to be very insightful so i encourage you to look for the announcement of that coming up and last message you're going to get another survey opportunity in the next couple of weeks probably two weeks for signing up for legislative advocacy training. We have some exciting plans for the fall on how we can identify more people with HCM. And if you want to be part of the movement in your state, I would encourage you to sign up, get the education. We have the core legislative asks written up and we have sample legislation drafted that we want to make sure gets to every state eventually. We're starting with uh, 11 states as our primary focus, but if we can get it in other states, we'll take it. Thank you very much. But once we get this moving, we will have people talking about family heart health history in the appropriate venues where they can get the appropriate follow-up testing needed for whatever their cardiovascular family history is. HCM, DCM, ARVC, channelopathies, Marfans, congenital defects, We're not just looking for HCM here, guys. So we could bring in all your friends and partners that care about other people and wanna change the way we find those who are at risk. So please look for that invitation. Uh, You can go on the website and sign up and uh, we're gonna make it real easy for y'all to participate. Um, Dr. Lever, any final words today?
1: No, I think we said pretty much what we needed to say
0: and we're good okay thank you everybody for joining tales from the heart and please don't forget to visit the new website at 4hcm.org and let us know what you think we did a lot of work on that this year and uh so far so good but let us know what you think thanks bye-bye thank you for listening to tales from the heart for more information on hcm we encourage you to visit our website at 4hcm.org join us online for the conversation on our facebook page or in our private group. Facebook page can be found at Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association. And our Instagram handle is at 4HCMWarriors. That's the number 4HCMWarriors. Follow us on Twitter at 4HCM.org. For those members of the LinkedIn community, you may want to follow the conversation on the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association group. Join us today. To contact the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association, you can call 973-983-7429. You can email us at support at 4HCM.org or visit us online at our website 4HCM.org and send us an email from there. The Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association is located in New Jersey and operates on East Coast time. We would like to thank our sponsors, Myocardia, Invite, Boston Scientific, and Cytokinetics for their support of this program. Please remember to sign up for the HCM Strong Tour, Big Hearted Warriors Unite. Our virtual tour will begin September 3rd and include dates September 17th, October 8th, October 10th, October 24th, October 29th, November 12th, December 3rd, and December 10th. A few other events will be added check the updated registration information at 4HCM.org. Hope to see you at one of our upcoming meetings. The HCMA is partnering with Myocardia, 23andMe, and others to help learn more about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Learn more about these initiatives at 4HCM.org. Invitae, a genetic testing company and a sponsor of Tales from the Heart, is proud to provide free genetic testing to families with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Please learn more at 4HCM.org. Hey, we know life with HCM can be challenging, and support is critical. That's why the HCMA has created an online support group system to help you and your loved ones live better with HCM. Join us. The HCMA is seeking volunteers on a number of different projects, including our online support group system, our peer-to-peer, big-hearted friends system, and our legislative subcommittee. Please visit 4HCM.org to learn more today.